Hello and welcome to this edition of the European Movement in Scotland's podcast series, European Conversations. I'm Kirsty Hughes and this week I'm in conversation with Galina Pastuk. Galina is Deputy Director of Texty, a leading Ukrainian think tank and media organisation and head of the board of the Ukrainian think tank's liaison office in Brussels. Galina Pastok, it's very kind of you to come on this podcast today at such an impossibly difficult time for Ukraine. I wanted to start by asking you about your own reactions to and thoughts about the war and the invasion. Today is the, the 40th day of Russia's invasion, and it's a terrible day in so many ways. How do you see it now you've lived through 40 days of this? Mm, thank you, Kirsty. Uh, so, uh, speaking about my personal feelings, I think that my life and life of many people in our country changed dramatically during these 40 days. And I think uh, 41 days ago or even more, we couldn't imagine that it will be so awful. And I understand that we didn't knew anything about the war before. We had some ideas that it's awful, but how awful it could be in the 21st century. It, it, it's, a, it's an incre incredible feeling. You know, uh, you woke up at uh, five o'clock and you have got so many calls from your friends. How are you? Uh, are you safe? and that we have heard bombs in our city, in that city that I was that night. And it was actually uh, my personal situation that my partner had a COVID. That's why I was visiting my uh, parents. And during this period of time, I uh, got this information from him. And that's why I was staying uh, in my parents' house, uh, and I didn't went to Kiev. That's why I I was in another city, and it was not bombed this night. But the first three days, it was, um, I think, the most awful days in my life, because I have seen so many pictures from my friends and from my colleagues and my family. Uh, they were staying all the time in shelter and I was uh, just crying all the time because I was so scared and I was trying to help all of them and I had no idea how can I help and you know this feeling when you can't eat or you can't drink water and you are feeling terrible just thinking about all people that has such a big meaning for you, but not only your colleagues or your friend, for the whole country, you know. And uh, I was crying all the time when I have seen the small children in shelter, uh, Ukrainian experts mainly, they were staying in Bucha, in Gostomel, uh, because it's all the small cities near Kiev, uh, they were full of young people that were, uh, trying to buy or got a credit to buy an apartment just in in these beautiful green areas and uh, I was crying all the time when I have seen my colleague which was staying all the time in the shelter for three days long in Hostomel just near of the airport and until now uh, or uh, actually yesterday I was thinking all the time 
mainly about Bucha, Hostomel, and any other city, because I have also an apartment not so far, like 20, 10 kilometers from, from this small towns and i'm also living in a small town near kiev and i have only one wish i think not to go to any country i used to travel a lot uh, for example in 2019 i had more than 40 flights but i have only one dream to woke up <laughs> in my apartment and to see beautiful dnipro uh, outside of my window so it's my biggest dream at the moment, uh, I mean, uh, maybe. Yeah, oh, well, I hope, we all hope that will come sooner rather than later, but as you describe, it's such a terrible shift from normality to this horrendous, horrific abnormality. Um, and the bravery it takes to just live through, through it as you are, I think is extraordinary beyond words. And yet, obviously you've, managed to keep working through this 40 days and your deputy director of the Texty think tank. And I'm sure that's all been turned upside down by the war as well. But can you explain to people what your think tank and media organization was doing before, before the war? Uh, our uh, organization will actually deal with this uh, open data policy topic and we are producing uh, data journalism projects and also a big part of our work is countering disinformation. We are monitoring uh, Russian disinformation in Ukraine and uh, we have uh, already created different tools uh, where we, we are monitoring on weekly basis a huge amount of news uh, which are coming from uh, Russian mainstream media outlets or uh, special websites that are specifically targeted to Ukrainian occupied territories or uh, disinformation which is targeted to Ukrainian people in different areas or Russian-speaking people outside of the world. So, so we are producing... Been monitoring Sorry? this for the last several years then is that right i think uh, yes already since five or six years we are doing this monitoring activities uh, also we are monitoring different uh, messengers i mean special groups or publics in messengers uh, like telegram or viber in ukraine it could be also not only media outlet and uh, messengers it could be any source of information where we can get a huge amount of information i mean we are not doing it manually uh, we have produced a special software where we can monitor from 10,000 of new species until to 100,000 of new species weekly which uh, is uh, actually a big background to do a topic modeling to understand what kind of topics uh, will be used in in this big propaganda process and can I ask, uh, how many people work for your think tank media organization? I think permanent uh, staff, we have like 15, 16 people, uh, and we have many freelancers, we have uh, volunteers, but when we speak about the permanent staff, it's like 15 people. Okay, that, that, that's an amazing amount of work for, for a relatively small organization. And as the war came 
closer but hadn't started in February or before that from all this work you were already doing following the disinformation to what extent did you see it coming did you see it coming in terms of you know the changes in the intensity or the nature or the focus of the, the disinformation Yes, actually, uh, we had already an idea that this war will happen because uh, we use also uh, AI or any other in innovative tools that could be helpful for analysis of uh, disinformation. And uh, we have seen from the satellite images uh, this huge amount of Russian troops and technique on the Ukrainian border. And then we have produced an interactive map and it was very obvious for us that this war will happen. Also, we have seen an escalation of uh, Ukrainian uh, topic uh, in all these disinformation messages and news. And that's why we were written so many different articles just to warn civil society journalists or also public official that it's obvious that this war will happen. When we speak about now, they have a little bit different messages. And speaking about the last two, three days, they are writing so much about topic of the city Bucha. I think this topic is very common. And they are trying to say that it was made like a theater in Bucha, or it was made by Ukrainian people. And it was exactly after the publication of all the news about Bucha and of the publica publication of videos or any images from Bucha. And this is your job. You, you're used to following and studying and analyzing Russian disinformation. But to see it after the terrible sites and information we've got about Bucha in the last day or two, are you just to some extent, you know, you're used to it or, or are you shocked like all of us are shocked? Yes, actually, we have used to it because when we have seen already a year ago also Russian troops on Ukrainian border and we have seen exactly at the same time the escalation of the disinformation on the specially designed websites for Ukrainian audience. So they are leading all the time information war all the time, I think, not only in this period of time and not only the last eight years. It was even before, I think. So you're not, you're maybe shocked, but you're not surprised. Yes, it was expected. And I mean, the work of your think tank, as you describe it, is already so relevant to the unfolding politics of the last several years and is also immensely relevant to the war today. But the, the fact that there's now been 40 days of war, that must have led to a very big change in, in how you work at your Texty organization. Yes, I think so, because uh, I think uh, we, we used to, to do weekly monitorings, but currently we are doing daily activities on daily basis because information, information floor uh, in Ukraine changed dramatically, not only in Ukraine, but in the whole world, I think. And we have so many news and so many disinformation news that um, maybe even our daily work, it's not enough. Uh, we need to monitor all the time what is going on because it could, it could be brought to any city, to any media outlet 
so much disinformation and even when we speak about ukrainian social networks you are getting all the time the information this city will be bombed in 20 minutes for example uh, everyone has to go to the shelter this situation happened for example uh, on Thursday or friday the whole ukraine all um, informational channels mainly uh, not official but on social networks they uh, were warning that you need to go to the shelter because it will be a massive attack to ukraine you know for example uh, to understand this is disinformation or not it's impossible currently i mean it's possible to to see some features but you don't know and you can't be sure that you are going to buy some milk or bread and that you you need to go directly to shelter from this grocery store for example so you can tell that some of it's disinformation but you, you can't say some something that, that might kill people is definitely disinformation they have to take the safe safer route yeah actually we are trying to follow uh, in ukraine so i'm telling you not only as um, a person who is dealing with this topic, but as a normal Ukrainian, that you are not sure what source of information could be could provide you the best information. So we are trying to follow all the official websites and uh, only the official sources of information. But there are so many alternative sources, and they are trying to put the disinformation into all the sources of information that you have all time the source of this uh, insecure feeling, you know, that you need to, to be scared all the time. Which, which is terrible and deliberate, of course, as part of it. Yes. And have you managed with your think tank staff and freelance people have you managed to keep communicating with each other your website is there you see you know you're doing a huge amount of work but that must have been so hard for you i think the first one or two weeks it was awful because it was very important to relocate our staff from kiev uh, to more safer places, even when we speak uh, not only about our colleagues, but also their families, and they have children or parents and so on. And I think we were managing all this stuff the first two weeks. And currently we have a good communication all the time. Uh, some people are doing uh, volunteer activities or maybe uh, joined uh, military forces in Ukraine. Um, what sort of voluntary organ, um, voluntary work are people doing as well as their work for the think tank? It could be different. It could be information. It could be uh, IT activities. It could be um, some aid for Ukrainian people. Personally, uh, I'm trying also to communicate a lot with different international partners or, for example, with city councils in Ukraine, because we used uh, to consult them on open data policy. Now we are uh, having so many contacts, just bringing some um, aid to Ukraine from European countries to uh, different cities. In my native city, we have currently officially 15,000 uh, of people uh, that were relocated to uh, to the city, but unofficially, I think it will be three times more. 
and uh, I mean, I'm trying to do different activities in this city, but also I am managing different international aid and just putting in contact, uh, providing different types of documents uh, or looking for special things that will be needed for military forces or even last week I was trying to find uh, some medicine for small children that were relocated to my native city but uh, you know it's uh, the situation is not good for people who have children with rare diseases and to find uh, such kind of medicines in Ukraine it's not easy at all. So you're doing both your job with the disinformation and your think tank and, and you and your colleagues are also doing another job, voluntary job, to help yes. with, with the war effort. I think it uh, it could be like one of, yes, it's uh, very different. Uh, many of us are doing uh, maybe three, four days main job and then two, three days volunteer job or it could be half day you are doing your job and then you need to do some volunteer stuff or at the same time even. And you're working in both ways. You're working, you said, with working with international organizations on the disinformation and you're also working with international aid and, and as you said, for instance, trying to get medicines. What is your general view about the international and especially the European response up until now? Uh, I think uh, we need to have more uh, activities together with Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian and uh, European think tanks. We need to have joint projects and joint research projects, which is very important for the communication, for advocacy, for uh, the possibility to be heard from Ukraine. And it's very, very important currently, I think, not to, to lose our work and uh, also to have uh, international support and support of the international researchers at the moment. And to what extent are you managing to get that or is it hard to do that? Well, it must be hard to do it at a time of war. Yes, it's not easy at all, but I think all of us had previous experience to work together with European partners or international partners. And uh, we, we need to, to be heard. We need to, to do joint projects and uh, not an individual project, but to do joint projects because Ukrainian civil society need to stay for the future activities. And I think it will be a, a huge amount of work when this war will will be finished and I think uh, we need also not only Ukrainian view but we we need also European or international view on Ukraine just in order uh, not to not to miss any important things about Ukraine at the moment also yes I think and it's you're, very you're... Yeah, so you need a two-way two communication and joint projects and different points of view. And your homepage of your website, which I've looked at, is, is in Ukrainian, but there are several documents and reports and analyses translated into English. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And you, as you say, you, you've got that European experience already. It's very important to you, it continues now. You're the head of the board of the Ukrainian think tank office in Brussels, which has nine, I think, leading Ukrainian think tanks as, as part of that. So, so those European connections before, during and after the war are going to be really important. How important is Ukraine's EU application to you? How fast would you like to see that taken up in Brussels? It's very important for us because we are struggling currently for the better future. For I think we have proved that we are a civilized society in the heart of Europe. And I think that we need to uh, support all the European efforts currently, and it has to be supported by, by our European colleagues, that our voice has to be heard, that we are trying to do everything what we can currently. And we need also the support from our European colleagues to make it true that Ukraine could be a part of Europe at the future. And I think after this war, it will be obvious for the uh, for the whole Ukrainian society that is the only the only way. How can we survive from this horrible situation? I agree with you, and I, I very much hope that is the way the EU goes. I mean, uh, we uh, we have done previously so many conferences, events, or even online events during the COVID uh, pandemic, and we are trying to do any efforts to, I think, to advocate this topic that is very important to Ukraine and that is the only possibility for us to, to be a part of Europe at the future. So we are Europe actually, but we need to, uh, to work hard currently. And I think most of us would like to stay in Ukraine and uh, when we speak about the relocation of Ukrainian staff, no one from my colleagues or other organizations that I know, they are not going to other countries currently. Maybe someone relocated for some reasons, but mainly uh, we, are, we are trying to stay in Ukraine as long as possible because our only way is to stay here now and to work and try to work as much as we can. I think that's a very clear message. And as I've discovered in, in recent weeks, and as you know, there are a lot of offers of posts in European, American and other universities and, and some think tanks, I hope, are around the world. But as you say, what maybe your priority is to have support so you can keep working as you are in Ukraine. Yes, I think... Uh... I think uh, currently we, uh, we have short-term or middle-term projects, but we, we need to think about the long-term projects and we need to, uh, why I'm thinking so, because all the period after Maidan, we have done so many uh, things to support rep reforms in Ukraine, for example, to change so many things in Ukraine. And it's very important to follow up all these activities and uh, the role of the the civil society's role of think tank was very important because many experts joined different groups uh, in the government or became a part of the government or the parliament. And it's important to follow up all these activities currently. So you absolutely have to plan 
for the future and for the rebuilding that we obviously hope comes very, very soon indeed. Yes, I think rebuilding is also a very clear message. What are we going to do? Is there any other comments or requests you would like to make in terms of the sort of support you need? Uh, thank you. I think we, we need uh, support for Ukrainian think tanks and not only for Ukrainian think tanks, but for the civil society uh, as a whole. I think we need maybe funding for long term projects because it's not easy to plan currently when we speak about the uh, long-term projects. We need also to stay here and to follow up our activities because it was not easy to build a think tank in Ukraine, not only for us, and it was supported by European or American partners and we had so many activities and so we have done so many efforts and it was uh, it was a big challenge to big uh, to build a sustainable uh, think tanks or sustainable civil society organizations in Ukraine and we have done it and we have many well-known organizations not only in Ukraine but all over the world and we need to follow up our activities in Ukraine and the main idea that it will be important for the rebuilding of our country in the future that we have this memory before the war how it was and we have some prospects and ideas how it could be in the future and what is important for the future. That's very important, isn't it? Keeping, keeping that memory, keeping those structures, keeping the, the wealth of knowledge. And I think everybody, including you, working in the civil society context and organizations has, has been so valuable and so brave. Yes, memory keeping is one of the most important questions at the moment, I think. I think that's been wonderful to talk to you, Galina, in such terrible circumstances, but your efficiency as well as your bravery has come shining through. And I hope people in other think tanks and in the EU are indeed listening to the messages you've given us today. So thank you very much. Thank you. There we must leave this week's European Conversations podcast. I'm Kirsty Hughes, and I was in conversation with Galina Pastuk.